If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. For me, losing is usually fuel on the fire to do better at something. And so I, I got crushed in that first one despite thinking I was fit and looked really good in spandex and uh, wound up getting bit by the triathlon bug. You know, I'm one of those guys where if I leap out of bed in the morning and just get to email and Facebook and Twitter versus just laying there and being still for five minutes, it kind of like sets a standard of stress for the rest of the day. Hey folks, this is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Really, really appreciate it. If you haven't rated our podcast, go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. That'd be pretty awesome. And get on our email list. Go to unbeatablemind.com slash podcast. Hey, my guest for this week is my good friend, Ben Greenfield. If you don't know Ben, he's been on this show before. Ben is an awesome guy. He is an all-around, you know, like new age entrepreneur, athlete, warrior, leader, all-around cool dude. Wait, wait a minute. Don't, it doesn't new age mean I wear a toga? Yeah, that's well, like, maybe new age a, didn't a, belong in there. <laughs> and, a, and a tie-dye was, headband? My mind was desperately searching for a better word. I think I get what you're going after with, yeah. with, with new age. I like renaissance like, is um, the word I was actually looking for. You're like a renaissance man, you're you're an yeah, maybe something Jack like that. Trades. I can't quite. Uh, what's that quote about a man needs to be able to to con a ship, change a diaper, yeah. pitch manure, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, I I can do maybe about ten percent of the things on that list. So I'll take new age. <laughs> That's awesome. But you are a best selling author. You're an endurance coach to elite athletes. You're an obstacle race champion i think right have you have you won a couple of those suckers i think you have yeah i've won some obstacle races won some won some triathlons uh when the the right people don't show up (laughs) yeah so we're gonna learn like what's interesting to ben like what what's going on in your world today so i want to talk to you about um training and i know that you train a lot of folks for kokoro camp so i know people listening to this are going to be interested to hear about that and also recovery and some of your uh, latest interesting finds in the world of biohacking How's that sound? Nice. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So tell me, tell us um, a little bit about yourself. Like you, I know you lived in Washington. I visited your property and a really cool little place there, but you know, who, who's Ben Greenfield? What, what drives you? What, you know, what's your ethos? Yeah, that was fun. When you came up to visit, we took a nice little 19 mile walk. If I recollect with, with, uh, with backpacks and boots Remind, and, a, and a long, yeah. a long string of weary people behind us. You've got to tell the story about lunchtime. That was epic. <laughs> yeah. At, at the, at the 20X. Yeah. Let's, let's get to that. But, but to answer your other question, um, yeah, I grew up in Idaho. I was homeschooled K through 12, uh, myself and my four siblings, and was just a, a consummate nerd. I played violin for 13 years and I was president of the chess club. And, you know, I, I was one of the early adopters of like online World of Warcraft and 
you know, had read J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, I think like seven times by the time I was a teenager and I uh, was was definitely not really into the whole like physical culture scene until I was about 13. And that was when I discovered the sport of tennis. And my dad uh, took me to the sporting goods store and bought me like a pair of 10 pound dumbbells, which I had no clue how to use. I remember I was trying to figure out how to work my biceps. And I remember like the very first move I ever did with the dumbbells was I, I laid down on the bed on my belly and use like the edge of the bed is almost like a concentration curl type of bench or, or like a, a preacher curl type of bench. And I would just lay there doing preacher curls and I would have like the, the, uh, the health and the bodybuilding magazines and stuff stacked off to the side. And then I'd peruse through those and learn a few new moves. And I remember my, the second, the second fitness device I got was I actually purchased one of those made for TV ab devices where you like, pull a, it was like a spring-loaded device that you put up against your stomach and then you you hold on to it you like pull it against your stomach while you engage in an isometric contraction which which um retrospectively it, it's actually a, a decent idea and i would just uh, i would i would hit that multiple times per day until my abs were sore and you know eventually added a barbell and a little tv where i could stick in rocky movies and and uh I got to the point where I, I kind of started to geek out. I, you know, I started to become one of those bro science guys, and I wound up studying uh, exercise science at, at, at the university level and uh, advanced human nutrition and pharmaceuticals. Advanced human nutrition. Isn't there just like nutrition? Or is it nutrition for advanced humans? Well, yeah, exactly. Nutrition for, for advanced humans, for, for cyborgs. No, actually, I did uh, a self-directed master's degree, which meant that they let me study. I had to propose it to, uh, to the head of my department, but they let me put together a whole list of uh, nutrition, biochemistry, microbiology, and pharmaceutical courses because I really wanted to understand more about the interplay between the human body and supplements and food and performance. And so... Uh, it, it turned out to uh, to be a, a perfect little geeky master's degree for me because my interest at the time was bodybuilding, and shortly thereafter, Ironman triathlon, two sports where where fuel and uh, supplementation become uh, pretty paramount to success. And I've I've never really looked back since. You know, I've spent the past couple of decades just immersed in in how to get the most out of the body and the brain. You don't usually hear um, bodybuilding and triathlons in the same sentence. And were you doing them simultaneously? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the, the very first, I, I weigh about 175 pounds now. I mean, you, you've, you've seen me. Um, I was 215 in college at, at a 3% body fat and um, it got bit by the triathlon bug. And I, I wound up signing up for like a sprint triathlon because I was already like riding my mountain bike to, uh, to college, you know, a couple miles back and forth each day, you know, and that was my, my quote unquote cardio for bodybuilding. And um, I was messing around with a water polo team a little bit, playing some water polo. And then um, I, I hadn't really run much at all because running is so catabolic, it, it flies in the face of putting on muscle for bodybuilding. So that was, that was kind of the one missing variable. But I figured I had, I had enough in the bank to do the race. And uh, all I remember from that first triathlon that I did was my tits hurt so bad from, uh, from bouncing up and down because my chest was huge. And, uh, and, and I, I wish like halfway through this thing that I had a sport bra, but, uh, you know, after, after just getting crushed at that first one, uh, you know, for me losing is usually fuel on the fire to do better at something. And so I, I got crushed in that first one, despite thinking I was fit and looked really good in spandex and, uh, wound up getting bit by the triathlon bug and 
going on and doing, you know, Ironman races and, and beyond for like a decade and uh, kind of catabolized all that muscle I worked so hard to build in, uh, in college. And, you know, speak of the devil, I'm actually at a point in my life now where I'm, uh, I'm beginning to, to pack on muscle. So I'm, I'm starting to do a lot more, uh, uh, heavyweight training. I'm going after kettlebell cert. I'm, I'm starting to take my colostrum and my fish oil and my beta alanine and all these muscle building supplements now and kind of, kind of wanted to pack on a little bit of muscle. Cause you know what they say when you, uh, when you, when you turn 40, pretty much what, what you have at 40 is a lot of what you're stuck with the rest of your life from a muscle standpoint. So it's good to, to not go into, into your later years in life too skinny. <laughs> I like that. You know what they say? Who's they, by the way? Uh, that would be exercise science researchers in the field of sarcopenia or, uh, or, uh, muscle loss as you age that occurs naturally. I love it. You know, I love talking to you, Ben, because I, I learn a whole like slew of new words I've never heard before. Mm, yeah. Some, some words I make up like sarcopenia. I just, I, I like I, uh, to fool you, to add words to your vernacular that require you to say the word pina. <laughs> I know why you're such a geek. I didn't realize you had a master's degree in advanced nutrition. Now it's starting to make a little bit more sense. What is the, um, let, let's kind of shift to your, like, like the, the soft end belly of Ben Greenfield. You know, I get all this science stuff and your passion for um, training and nutrition, but what's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life? It doesn't have to be physical either. Right. Right. Well, one very hard thing was the the birth of my children, uh, my wife and I actually went through a course where the husband is supposed to be the birth partner in terms of both breathing as well as uh, acting as as almost like a spotter for the wife. I forget the the name. It starts with an L. It's some strange, almost like a French type of sounding name. But but you learn all these these. It's almost like you're the male midwife. So we went through like this four month course and uh, did like a natural home birth with doulas and midwives, and then. Uh, me acting as, you know, the same way someone would like spot a bench presser or spot somebody squatting at the gym. You're like spotting your, your wife as she's, as she's giving birth. And, uh, it, and it was like, you know, my wife's got, you've seen her tiny, you know, uh, narrow hips. And she's one of those women who probably would have died in the wild, wild west giving birth. And she was having twins. So it was a high risk birth as it was. And we spent 10 hours in labor with her sharp elbows and sharp knees digging into my thighs and my torso as she, as she labored. And as I was working both physically and also was very concerned uh, mentally for, for the life of the two children that, that were, uh, were inside of her. And that was, that was a very harrowing evening. Uh, it, it was, it was physically difficult, but mentally pretty difficult too. And of course the, the finish line of that particular endeavor was the greatest finish line of my life, getting to see uh, river and Taryn, my twin boys who are now eight years old, uh, come, come to life and, uh, and be birthed. But that was a, that was a long and difficult and, and somewhat scary evening. That one comes to mind as something hard that kind of falls outside the boundaries of, you know, Kokoro and the Spartan Agoji and, you know, the, these long, long races and, uh, and, and crucibles that I do physically. Um, another an emotional mountain crucible right there. I mean, that's exactly a, an unusual yeah. experience. Wow. And they're beautiful yeah. kids. I, mean, I, I, I remember meeting them really neat kids. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Another, another tough one was, was recently, and then this obviously isn't the toughest, but it certainly comes to mind. Cause again, it falls outside the realm of what we all usually talk about. And that was, I, uh, I, I was so proud of myself. I shot my first big bull elk, uh, way up in the, in the mountains in, uh, in Colorado. And this was, this was pretty recently and, um, elk will, will, will go a long time after they're shot. And, uh, he, he, he took off with a long shot. I probably got him in one long, not two. 
and uh, blood trailed him for, you know, I, I shot him about 745 in the evening and blood trailed, I mean, till about 4 a.m. in the morning the next day, went to bed till six, got back up and tracked him until 2 p.m., lost the trail out in the prairie. And, and it was just one of those deals where I was literally crawling on my hands and knees for mile after mile after mile with my nose to the ground, just looking at tiny specks of blood and trying to find the little tracks that marked that specific elk. And I was just, I was heartbroken at the end of that thing. Cause I never recovered the elk and, uh, you know, he wound up being fuel for the wolves and the bears, I suppose. But that was, that was a, a heartbreaking and also a, a very long patient endeavor of, of, of night blood tracking. But yeah, I would, I would say between, um, having twins and, uh, murdering an elk that got away, uh, that's, those, those are a couple things that come to mind. <laughs> okay. Two things that I've never experienced, and uh, I don't think I ever will. Um, fascinating, though. So let's talk about your um, training. So now you're, um, you're training for obstacle races, and um, you know, you've gone back and forth. You trained for Kokoro, which is probably not that different than training for an obstacle race. But what are, um, what are you training for right now, and what's your training plan look like? Well, uh, five days ago, I just finished a 32 mile obstacle race, uh, at Lake Tahoe, the, the Spartan world championships, which is, uh, it's an ultra beast. So it's, it was uh, 32 miles. It was extremely cold. It was, there was a, a blizzard that blew in on, on race day. And, um, so I'm, I'm still recovering from that. I've still got, got probably a little bit of rhabdomyolysis and, uh, excessive muscle damage going on from that. So my workouts this week have been all the things that I do for recovery. So for me, swimming is a big one. I do a lot of infrared sauna because it's great at, at healing up muscle tissue and, and heating and bringing blood flow to the tissue. I have, uh, I, I have one of these things that simulates running without the impact. It's like a, it's like an elliptical trainer on wheels that you can take out and, and like a bicycle, you can ride it, but it trains your running muscles instead of your cycling muscles. And I do quite a bit of cross training on that. So I've been doing, doing that this week. And then a lot of, you know, again, when I'm recovering, I do like light resistance band type of work. I have been doing a little bit of, uh, of electro stimulation where you actually hook, uh, electrode pads up to different muscles. And you can, um, with some of these units, you can simulate like a 600 pound squat. I'm not doing that this week. I'm more just using like passive muscle recovery, but you know, for, for me, a, a lot of, a lot of kind of easy work this week. And as far as training goes, um, I'm really, to be honest with you, uh, at this point that you've caught me in, I'm, I'm kind of in the off season. I'm training, I'm training my breath hold for, for some big spear fishing trips I'm going on in, uh, in Hawaii and Costa Rica. And, uh, so, you know, just, just doing a little bit of, a little bit of swimming, a little bit of kicking, getting ready to, uh, to dive. And, you know, you go down to about 50 to 80 feet. Typically that's on a, a two to three minute breath hold and, uh, go after some, some big fish in the water. And then, uh, obstacle racing really won't start up until next year. And then I'll be doing a mix of short course, uh, Spartan racing where they have like sprint courses that are a little bit more conducive to, to my goals. I was going over earlier, right? Like kind of getting out of skinny endurance man mode and starting to get a little bit more into sprint explosiveness and strength. And then, um, also train to hunt, which are, it's a fantastic competition that involves a meat pack, which is like rucking with a hundred to 150 pounds as, as fast as you can on these like uh, two to four mile courses, obstacle course racing with a bow where you're doing, you know, your barbed wire crawls and your sandbag carries and, and your box jumps and everything, but then stopping to shoot at targets in between each station. And, and, um, they also, as part of that have like a, so is that a sport or is that just something you're doing? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a new sport. It's called train to hunt. It's only been around for, for three years. It's getting extremely popular, this whole field of like hunting fitness. Um, but then they have, uh, also a 3d shoot, which is no, no range finder. Um, just, you know, you gotta be able to judge all the distances and you'll, you'll kind of be walking through the woods with, with, you know, four other guys, almost like golfing in a way. And, uh, you know, you come up on, on a target and it'll give you instructions like, uh, draw kneeling, stand, walk five yards forward, take your shot. And so they take your, your total accumulated, uh, accumulated points from the meat pack, from the, uh, from the 3d shoot and from the obstacle course shoot. And then that's your, that's your time. So it's like a weekend of competition. So it's almost like the CrossFit games for, for bow hunting. So the, the meat pack is you're just rucking with a actual slab of Mm -hmm. beef. (laughs) You're, you're, well, the, it's, it's to simulate, you know, getting your animal, your elk, your, your moose, whatever out of the mountains. But um, you're moving pretty quickly cause it's a race, uh, and you're required to have your bow. You can have a strap to your back. You're required to have everything you'd normally be hunting with, right? Your, your bow, your arrows, you know, your, your, uh, your quiver, all that stuff. You can have a strap to your back. You can be holding it. Uh, and then they use sandbags to simulate the, the meat just because I suppose it would become an expensive slash stinky event if they, uh, they use real meat. <laughs> just trying to imagine that. So you, you just sling the sandbags over your shoulder like you would a, like a, an elk or something like that? No, no, you pack them. So I've got a, a 7,000 plus cubic inch pack. I use, uh, I use these packs made by uh, Kifaru, just huge rucking packs that you can, you can put a lot into. And, um, and, and, you know, I've, I've got little techniques that I use and you, you've probably come across this rucking, you know, with the seals where, you know, if you put like towels or I use actual, like, like the big industrial bubble wrap and I put that at the bottom of my pack so that I can move 150 or hundred pounds up to the midsection. Like, so it's more on the thoracic spine. Cause what happens is, is when all that weight's down in your lumbar spine, you know, your hip flexors lock up and you lose your range of motion in the legs. So I get the weight sitting up really high and then I, I tighten the hell out of it. Like I, I tighten all the straps down and just lock it down as much as possible. So it doesn't bounce. And then, um, the normally on like a good rucking pack, uh, they've, you know, they, they typically have an inset frame, uh, and the frame at the top of the frame has your, your load lifting straps, uh, and the, and the load lifting straps are supposed to, when you're rucking, they're supposed to bounce around a little bit and take some stress off of the, off of the back. So they're supposed to be at like a, a 45 degree angle to the back, but I adjust my pack so that I literally pull the load lifting straps in the entire top of that frame as close as I can up into my traps. So it almost like cuts off air to a certain extent. It'd be impossible to, to ruck for a day like that, but for like a, for rucking over say like three miles where you're just going to be hauling ass for 45 minutes to an hour, just in the pain cave, I'll do that. And what it does is it keeps the weight from bouncing around, keeps it super tight to your spine. And I've found that between that and kind of like shifting, shifting the load up to the mid section of the pack. You can, you can boogie with a very heavy weight. That's fascinating. So you're going short distance, three, three, four miles. Yeah. Like yeah. So it's, it's just short as hard as you can go. That's, that's wild. That sounds fun actually. Um, so, but let's back up. You just did a 30, well, you said, th- I think 32 mile race, the Spartan ultra beast. How did you train for that? Like, what did your training look like? Um, help the listeners understand, you know, how you prepared for that race. Yeah. Uh, well, well, the, the traditional way to prepare for it would be, uh, lots, lots of running, um, you know, lots, lots of running and lots of grip strength work. I tell people if they want to succeed at obstacle course racing, 
Um, make sure that you are a good, efficient, economical runner and that you just have massive amounts of grip strength. If you're going to focus on two things, those are your two biggest things, meaning you accumulate a lot of time just with, with dead hangs and monkey bars and pull-ups. Uh, and you know, I even, I have like one of those captains of crush hand grippers in my car and in the bag that I'll have on airplanes and stuff where I'm just constantly working grip. And then, um, and then the running component is typically, you know, a combination of good running form and, and frequent running. But, uh, for me leading up to this event, I was, uh, a very pressed for time, uh, meaning I've, I've been doing a lot of speaking, a lot of traveling, uh, and B, uh, have been, uh, really infatuated with this newer concept of training according to your genetic profile, meaning that you can use companies like uh, 23andMe or DNA Fit, and you can actually test your what, what's what's called your power versus your endurance responder capacity, meaning do you respond well to powerful, explosive, heavy weight training, you know, clean and jerk squats, tire flips, keg carries, stuff like that versus like a higher rep, lower weight bodybuilding-esque type of routines um, along with, with aerobic work. So, so do you respond well to like an endurance? Do you respond better to power? And from, from a scientific standpoint, what that means more specifically is what builds your mitochondrial density and your, your muscle fiber capacity or your muscles ability to be able to take on load better, uh, a power or endurance based on your specific fiber type and your specific genetics. It turns out I am way on the high end of the spectrum for being a power responder which makes sense because I used to be a tennis player and a bodybuilder. And like I grew up, you know, when I, when I did get into sports doing these like heavier, more powerful explosive activities. So I trained for this race using, uh, three times a week, heavy full body weight training, primarily, uh, kettlebells, barbells, sandbags, kegs, tires, uh, sledgehammers, just like a, a mix of, of strong men and, and traditional, uh, power and weight training, you know, nothing longer than about 45 to 60 minutes for a single workout, but balls to the wall hard, uh, for those, those power and explosive workouts. And then, um, short, but frequent runs, meaning like, uh, 10 by 30 second on a treadmill at a 10% speed and, a uh, or, or a 10 mile per hour speed and a 10% incline, uh, hopping off the treadmill after each 30 second repeat to recover and then getting back on just like super short, explosive runs and powerlifting. And so that was how I trained for this. And, you know, people ask, well, how do you, how do you, uh, you know, cause the race took me, you know, seven hours and, uh, 47 minutes. How do you actually prepare the body to be ready for the pounding and the core strength necessary to be on your feet for that long? Well, the answer is that's where I hack my lifestyle. Right. So like we're, we're, you and I are talking right now and I'm standing and my next call, I'll probably walking on this treadmill workstation that's beside me. And, you know, throughout the day, I'll just stop throughout the day and just throw on 30 burpees, you know, and, and I'll do that here and there throughout the day to where by the end of the day, I might've accumulated 200, 300 burpees. So I do all these little things throughout the day to where like the whole day is almost like a, a very low level exercise session with some brief spurts of high intensity thrown in. I tell you what, once you throw a little bit of power lifting and some short frequent runs onto that, I, I felt strong the entire day. I felt great. Um, I was still a little bit sore afterwards, but that was how I trained for, uh, for that particular event was basically power lifting and some, and some short sprinting and then just time on the feet while working. <laughs> I love that. You probably scale your rafters on the way to uh, dinner, don't you? 
So. Scale the rafters on my way to dinner. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, yeah. The, well, you've been inside of our house. It's it's all a bunch of like old barn wood and and uh, and and planks hanging from the ceiling and stuff. So yeah, our house is kind of like a rock climbing facility. Yeah, well, your whole property is, and you've got that that grip pull up bar that was pretty cool. So you can do a lot of that. I love that idea, and I I kind of have a similar approach of, you know, your whole day is an, is a training playground, you know, and so. We call, you know, I call them spot drills. So anytime you have an opportunity to do some push-ups or do some breathing or, you know, do some awareness training, I mean, there's tons of opportunities throughout the day. And I always hear people complaining about not having the time to train. And I'm like, you know what? You just need to change your orientation and think that anytime you have a, you get up from the desk or anytime you walk in, you know, between one room and another, you have an opportunity to do some work. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I have like little rules that I live life by, and I like. Do you ever go to these conferences where there's like a conference and it's at a hotel, and you're just like in talks and stuff all day long? And and you know that this, this happens a lot, you know, in, in people who speak or people who go to conferences. But my rule when I go to a conference like this, where I know there's not going to be time to work out, like it's not, it's just not going to happen. You've got your morning breakfast where you're networking, and you know, and then lunch winds up being two hours long because you're sitting out there with people, and then you know. Uh, dinner and then after dinner, there's some kind of after event. You just know you're not going to get your formal workout in. You know, there's no way you're going to slip away to the hotel gym for for an hour or whatever. So you know, on those days, I, my my go to is I do a five minute icy cold shower at the beginning of the day. I do a five minute icy cold shower at the end of the day, so you get the blood flow and the nitric oxide release and uh, all the cardiovascular and also the the nervous system benefits of cold water therapy. And then my only rule is that for every hour that I am at that conference, I have to do 30 burpees. So whether it's like slipping away to the bathroom, whether it's slipping away outside, whatever. So every single hour I do 30 burpees, five minute cold shower at the beginning, five minute cold shower at the end. And yeah, like you say, if you work these little rules into your life where you're just like, okay, this is how the day is going to go. I don't care if I don't exercise, but, but this is where I'm going to grease the groove. This is where I'm going to do these mini sessions. That stuff adds up. Well, most people would call 300 burpees exercise, but for you, it's, well, it's just yeah. a drill. <laughs> yeah. Well, 30 burpees, you know, two, two, two and a half minutes, you can, you can usually slip away and find that time. Just tell people who have an overactive bladder. Yeah, exactly. You know, another one that's great is just if, if you don't want to do burpees in the bathroom, which is kind of gross, actually, uh, just doing, you know, 50 squats in the stall is, a, is another good one. Or yeah. Squats. That's yeah, cool. yeah, exactly. The the squats in the stall works well too. Yeah, the burpees in the bathroom. I mean, I I uh, for for me that's usually when when it's the bathroom. That's the one that you can actually lock the door on, so you're not in the stall. It's like a like a one person bathroom, and then you always you always wash your hands very well afterwards. Are you ready to start or to reboot your journey toward personal mastery? If so, I'd like to invite you to join me at the fifth annual Unbeatable Mind Retreat in San Diego, California on December 2nd to 4th. For three action-packed days, we're going to be learning and growing from leading wellness, fitness, and leadership experts such as Ben Greenfield, Jesse Itler, Rob Wolf, and Jimmy Chin, among others. The Unbeatable Mind team and I will also work with you on creating an action plan to help set you on the path for achieving breakthroughs in areas such as your health, fitness, relationships, business, finances, and more. You'll also have a chance to learn new skills to refine your physical and mental training with boot camp workouts, Kokoro yoga, breath empowerment, and other activities, including a charity wad benefiting the Christopher Reeve and our own Courage Foundation. Now, last year's event was sold out, so don't wait to register if this excites you. Make 2017 your best year ever by a long shot 
and join me at the Unbeatable Mind Retreat. For more information, go to www.retreat.unbeatablemind.com. That's www.retreat.unbeatablemind.com. Hoo-yah. Let's talk about some other hacks, um, especially as it pertains to like recovery. Um, you and I had an aborted podcast a while back, and we were getting into some really interesting things when my Wi-Fi went down. Let's kind of rehash that. We're, we're, um, what, what are some of the things that you do that, or you like to recommend to help people with recovery? Uh, you mentioned the um, infrared sauna. Let's start with that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, well, I mean, even backing up, and, and I'll remember to, to get to the infrared, uh, it, it's important that you quantify recovery. And, and that's, that's huge for me is not just saying I'm recovered, but actually paying attention to what what our, our modern era of self-quantification can tell us about recovery because musculoskeletal recovery does not occur at the same pace as neuromuscular recovery. What I mean by that is if you are no longer sore from a workout, it does not mean you are recovered. All it means is that skeletal muscle fiber repair has taken place. So I can I can do let's let's say a wad, you know, I you know, I, I could do Murph and on a Monday and feel good on a Wednesday in terms of my, my lats and my quads no longer being sore, but my nervous system, specifically my sympathetic fight and flight nervous system might still be beat up from a workout like that. So you can measure this. And, and this is what I do every morning is I, I use this concept called heart rate variability uh, or HRV. And most people have kind of heard of this by now. A lot of people just don't really use it effectively or practically, but I'll, I'll roll over in bed and just put on a heart rate monitor. And I don't, I'm not like constantly walking around all day with electrodes attached to my head and monitors attached to my body. But for five minutes each morning, I, I check into my nervous system. And so I'll, I'll put this heart rate monitor on. I use an app called uh, Nature Beat. And I open up the app and it tells me you know, my heart rate, but then it also shows me my sympathetic nervous system score and my parasympathetic nervous system score and almost like my, you know, what, what was referred to as your HRV or your overall nervous system score. And I know if that's above 90, I really truly am recovered and I'm ready to go smash it. And if it's below 90 and I ignore that, and I push through and I work out hard, even though my nervous system is still beat up, I inevitably, within a few days, get some kind of like sniffles or injury or soft tissue nagging ache and pain or something that's showing me that my neuromuscular system wasn't fully recovered. And so it's, it's almost a way to adjust your training on the fly. And sure, there, there are those days where you want to push yourself even if you are beat up, right? And that, that's this concept of uh, not overtraining but overreaching. You know, there's this idea in exercise science where the way you get fitter is you overreach and then you do what's called super compensation, where you give yourself a lot of recovery. Uh, but, you know, and, and it, you, you do that a few times a year as you're getting ready for a big event. But ultimately, you don't want to beat yourself up when you're already beat up from a nervous system standpoint. So that's one really important thing with recovery is you quantify. You do that in the morning, the heart rate uh, monitor? Yeah. That, and that's the time that you want to do it because you need consistency to get a reliable and, and valid measurement. So lying in bed in the morning for five minutes, and it works out well because you know, I'm one of those guys where if I leap out of bed in the morning and just get to email and Facebook and Twitter versus just laying there and being still for five minutes, it kind of like sets a standard of stress for the rest of the day. So I like to lay there and do some gratitude journaling and some deep breathing and and let the heart rate monitor do its measurements and then kind of start the day slow. 
so that's a, that's one thing is that is I'm, I'm sure to quantify recovery and then, um, yeah, like, like, uh, infrared sauna, that that's a perfect example of something that's, you know, it's different than a dry sauna or, or a wet sauna in that the infrared rays actually penetrate tissue five to seven inches and they warm joints. They cause a release of growth hormone. Um, it causes an increase in what's called heat shock protein, which can not only increase resilience to uh, central nervous system stress when you're, say, like out, uh, let's say you're on a hard run. It actually it makes your central governor, the part of your brain that that causes your body to shut down when the going gets hard. It causes that to to stay active for a longer period of time. This increased production of heat shock protein. So it's almost a way to to train yourself to be resilient to to higher amounts of discomfort when say you're not in the sauna, but you're out, you know, running or, or swimming or something like that. And there's also, uh, there's also some cool, uh, you know, detoxification is kind of like a woo woo term that gets thrown around too much in the wellness industry, but you actually do see a, a loss of things like heavy metals and, and toxins when you, when you use a sauna. And what I did was I actually ordered one to my house, um, from a company called clear light and it's called a sanctuary because it's big enough to do like yoga. I have a couple of 40 pound dumbbells in there, a weight plate and, and I'll go in there and exercise for about 20 or 30 minutes, almost every morning that I'm at home. And then I finish up with a, with a cold water swim out in the, out in the tub back behind my house. So I get this one, two combo of hot and cold, which is really good for recovery, for waking up the body, for uh, improving lymph flow, blood flow, detoxification, growth hormone, uh, heat shock proteins. There's, there's all sorts of cool things that happen with that combination of, of heat and cold. And specifically if the heat is infrared, it's, it's quite efficacious. Tell me the difference between near infrared and far infrared, and do we want both or one or the other? Yeah, ideally, you would want both. Uh, the near infrared, in terms of the way that it heats the tissue, actually has a little bit more of a detoxification effect than the far infrared. Um, and there, there are, um, there's one company that makes, I forget the name of it. I've got one back by my far infrared sauna, but it's like this, this light bulb that you can like hang from the ceiling. That's a near infrared light bulb. And I'll put that in the far infrared sauna sometimes, but I don't like it too much because my head hits it when I'm in there, you know, exercising and moving around. But if I were just laying down, you can do both near and far infrared if you want the full spectrum of infrared light. But there, you know, light's big. So there are other forms of light you want to get too, like a good combination of UVA and UVB, which is not rocket science. You can get that from, uh, from going out in the sun, you know, preferably between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. during the day. Um, there's also uh, wavelengths of light that are, are really unique, about what's called 600 to 800 nanometers of a, of a wavelength of light, specifically red light. And they make actual devices now that produce this. And, and I'll give you two examples of, of how this would be used. There's one device called a Vilite, V-I-E light. It was developed for people with Alzheimer's to lower the amount of inflammation and the buildup of things like amyloid plaques and uh, disruption of mitochondrial activity in neural tissue that happens during Alzheimer's. But it also, if just anybody uses it, can increase blood flow to the brain. Uh, it can, it's almost, it's almost like the way I describe it is, is it's almost like a cup of coffee for your brain, but it's, it is literally, it's about an 800 nanometer wavelength, like a light, almost like a little probe. And you put it in your nostril and you just shine it in your nostril for like 20 or 25 minutes while you're replying to emails and stuff in the morning. It just kind of sticks in there. And, uh, and it, and it exposes your neural tissue to this 600 to 800 nanometer wavelength of light 
that improves the health of your brain and increases blood flow to the brain. So that, that's one way that you can use light as almost like a, a very targeted biohack that's that's you know a little bit different than 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 infrared. And then there's another one, and I, I just recently shot a video. I'll, I'll probably be uploading it to YouTube today. Uh, for you guys out there, they've shown that that a wavelength of about 600 to 700 nanometers of the same type of thing of a red light, if you shine it on your on your testicles, uh, it can actually triple testicular uh, or triple uh, testosterone production and vastly increase your sperm count. And so there, there's another one uh, that 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 I have. It's called a Juve, J O O V V, and this is a light. It's it's hanging behind me in the door of my office. And I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to be crass here, but uh, at some point during the day, for the past few weeks, what I've been doing is I'll just walk over there. You know, my my office is at home, and and I'll just pull my pants down and sit there working on my phone for five minutes. I just do five minutes while this while this light is is shining on on my gonads to increase testicular function. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of ways that you can use light. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> All right, that one just blew my mind. Now you don't often blow my mind, but you just did. <laughs> I mean, it may, it's not that hard to do. I mean, it's it, it you know because I'd probably be tooling around my phone anyway, so I'll just go and uh, and, uh, and I'll go stand over this red light. But you know, I, I don't necessarily expect everybody to be doing that, and and you do need to be careful that you use the right wavelength so you don't fry your boys. But uh, but yeah, it's it's certainly something for guys who want to increase uh, testosterone. You know, it's 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 a lot different than doping. <laughs> You should be your own reality show. You know, I I, I think I'll I'll submit a reality show just to track, <laughs> just to follow you around all day, <laughs> all the crazy things you do. Yeah, there are, there are some reality shows though that are like I got a call from the uh, from the Discovery Network the other day because I've I've been starting to do more reality shows. I was on the Spartan TV Challenge show, and then I recently did uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's Broken Skull Challenge course uh, on country music television, and then I got a call from the. Uh, the Discovery Network, and they wanted me to be on a reality TV show, and I, I haven't heard back from them yet. But they basically said they put you in a dark cave for three days with all the other competitors and see who's able to survive. So that came across my desk too. Someone asked me if I was interested. So I really don't okay. feel like yeah. hanging out with a bunch of guys in a, in complete darkness for three days. That doesn't sound like much fun to me. Well, I think they were offering like like seven hundred bucks or something like that. I'm like, well, you know, if, if this was like a ten thousand dollar prize on the line, I might go, you know, survive in a cave for three days. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, might, I might need a little bit of a financial incentive. Oh, that's awesome. So um, sauna, a cold, icy cold. Now most people don't have the ability to put a cold bath in so does it you know can a cold shower i mean obviously just a cold shower is good for you but it's is there a certain yeah. temperature we're looking for in, in the uh, cold bath yeah sure uh ray cronice who's a he's a former nasa materials engineer who now does a lot of, of research on on cold thermogenesis and and cold therapy uh specifically for fat loss uh, what he's found in his lab is it's about 55 degrees is kind of like the uh, the the cutoff, meaning once you get a lot warmer than 55, you don't get many of the same benefits as if you go 55 or lower. So if you can somehow get to get to at least 55, I mean, obviously if it's cold and you have that sharp intake of breath, we call the uh, mammalian dive reflex. That indicates that your that your vagus nerve is being triggered. It's being slightly stressed by the cold, and you're going to get a response. Uh, you know, if, if that's happening, if you get that sharp intake of breath when you get into the shower. But ideally, it's supposed to be 55 degrees or colder, 
And, um, and, and yeah, and, and one thing I always like to point out when we get into a discussion like this is that you need to remember that your skin is a mouth, uh, anything from chlorine to fluoride to the birth control pills that are in our municipal water supplies, all of that gets absorbed through your skin. So if you're starting up a habit of say like a five minute shower at the beginning and end of the day, which for some people is longer than a shower they'd normally do. I recommend getting either like a, you know, like there's a, there's a, a bunch of companies that make showerhead filters like a KDP is one and, and it'll just filter out the stuff that's coming out of your shower. So you're not bathing yourself in, in toxins, uh, more or less when you shower, or you can get like a whole house water filter, you know, like a reverse osmosis filter, but yeah, 55 degrees or cooler and then preferably filtered. And what is um, like? What's the most interesting new hack? It sounds sounds like it's these lights, but is there anything else that you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've always it got goes all in the category sorts of interesting. interesting. Yeah, so I, I went down to the uh, the Peak Brain Institute in Los Angeles about a month and a half ago, and went through uh, about a week of intensive brain training, where you have electrodes attached to your scalp. And, uh, and, and then those electrodes are attached to a computer that monitors alpha, beta, theta, and delta waves. And, uh, then there are, there are reward cues on the screen. So for example, you will fly a spaceship and that spaceship will slow down or disappear, or the smoke will stop coming out of the the back of the spaceship when you stray into excessive beta brainwave production or when you fall out of consistent alpha brainwave production. You can actually program the software to reward you for whatever frequencies that you want to be rewarded for. So what I did was I went down there and I did uh, what, what's called a QEEG brain map. So they identified areas of my brain that had things like uh, too much distractibility, not enough focus, uh, a need for you know almost like a form of meditation or increased alpha brainwave production. And then they trained me how to use this software in this kit. And so now it's actually sitting on the desk in front of me. They sent me home with a, a whole bunch of electrodes and wires and this laptop. And what I do uh, every other day now for 30 minutes, and I'll be doing this for the next three months to train myself how to how to focus for longer periods of time, produce more alpha brain waves, and have a decreased distractibility and better sleep, is I simply uh, fly this spaceship with my brain while I have these electrodes attached to my head. And uh, it, it's just basic uh, what's called EEG neurofeedback, but it's a more advanced form of it to where you're actually training your brain um, in the same way that, you know, a, a monk might train via meditation, but it's it's more like using uh, using technology to do so. And, and I don't eschew traditional forms of meditation, right? Like I've taken a transcendental meditation course. I, I very much like yoga. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of all the all the mental visualization that I've learned from you, for example, at Silfit Academy, like the, you know, everything from the holotrophic breath work to the, to the warrior yoga. But I, I think it's intriguing now that I'm able to use EEG and neurofeedback and a computer to actually quantify this and to, to target the brain in, in almost like a laser like fashion to where you can just say, okay, that part of the brain is producing too much beta. We're going to shut it down. We're going to shift it into alpha and all I have to do is keep the spaceship flying, and it trains my brain how to do that. That sounds cool. Uh, I, I want to do that, so I want to follow up with you and figure out how you got how you got to do that. So I want to go, I yeah, it, it actually it was really straightforward. You know, I, I flew down there. I got myself a little little hotel near their place, and I'd walk in each morning, and they they put me through a few sessions. I mean, it wasn't cheap. It, it was like um, you know they they. they cut me a deal because I'm an, you know, an influencer and a, a, you know, an author and whatever, but you know, it costs me, 
it was right around uh, $4,000. And I think, uh, you know, if you're just walking off the street, it'd be closer to about uh, 6K, I believe. But in my opinion, you know, to, to have like those three months of your life where you just train yourself, you don't ever have to do it again to just like be a be a Zen master and, and use technology to accelerate the process. Uh, I think, I think it's intriguing. Yeah, it is. Have you, uh, used the muse yet? I've yeah, that, I, the muse, I have. It sounds a lot like the music. Yeah. So the muse is, you know, fairly simple. This is, um, there, there's, there's nothing like this in terms of the actual electrodes attached to specific areas of your brain and the do and the two way feedback between your brain and the device and the device in your brain, except uh, there's like this $25,000 cap that some professional sports teams are using that is that is similar. I think there's a company, I want to say it's it's Sense Labs that, that's working with some teams. Yeah, Sense Labs. They're, 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 they're another innovator in brain training. And they have a device that is slightly more expensive, but that a lot of professional sports teams are using for better focus and deeper sleep. It's probably the closest thing to this. I would say if you were going to choose anything from uh, – like there's a company called Halo Neuroscience that has one that that's a magnetic stimulation. There's the Muse, which is um, a little bit more. You know, it's kind of kind of almost like a cheapo version of of some of this stuff. And then um, Sense Labs, and then this other one that I've been going to, the Peak Brain Institute, are other examples. And the reason I like the the Peak Brain Institute is I'm able to talk to them every day. So they'll look at my trainings and they'll tell me, hey, you know, you need to you need to upregulate your alpha, or you needed to train beta waves today, or hey, you've got it, you've got a race tomorrow, and we want you to sleep well. So run this 30 minute session that's going to shift you way out of your high beta waves before you go to bed at night. So it's kind of cool. You can you can tweak your training based off of your your day or the next day's goals. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Cool. Well, we've been uh, cranking along now for about 45 minutes. I think I probably uh, should let you go. I need to get getting ready to go to Hawaii tomorrow for some wedding and some spearfishing. So um, how can folks, um, like what's the best website or, you know, how can folks, you know, learn about you and, and what you're up to now? Probably just, uh, I, you know, I, I, I know how hard it is to remember URLs when you're, uh, when you're, when you're listening to podcasts. So I would just say Google Ben Greenfield. Uh, and pretty much, uh, I'm, I'm hopefully the first guy to come up. Um, if not my apologies to any other Ben Greenfields out there for, for the onslaught of, of Mark's extremist listeners arriving on your website and pinging you with questions about shining laser lights on your balls. But, uh, but yeah, just, just Google Ben Greenfield and, uh, and I should come up. Awesome, Ben. Well, thank you so much again for your time. Uh, you're really generous. You rock. Uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. I'll see you at our unbeatable mind retreat. I, I wouldn't miss it. I'll be there. Awesome. Look forward to it. All right, buddy. All right. Thanks again. And everybody out there, um, until next time, you stay focused, train hard, train your brain, and uh, maybe get one of those lights and see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mark. All right, Ben. You take care. Hoo ya. All right. Coach Later, man. Hoo ya. Back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen. 